0: Alright y'all, this morning we're going to be in 1 Samuel chapter 25. So, in chapter 24, we have this episode between Saul and David. Saul, for the last few chapters, has been pursuing, he's been chasing David, and so he's been living on the run. But in 24, we find this exchange between them. And at the end of it, Saul actually offers David peace, and Saul goes back home. But David stays in the wilderness with his men. And in chapter 25, it's where we still find him. And the story that we find here is one not involving him and Saul, but actually two people that we have yet to meet, a man named Nabal and his wife Abigail. And as we look at this story, there's there's three things that I want us to consider this morning. I want us to consider the tension that we create, the intervention that we need, And the resolution that we experience. So, just before we read, I want to point out two things for us, okay? One is that the chapter is going to open telling us that Samuel has died. Now, he's been like a really prominent figure so far in this book. And it's like, in passing, it's like, oh yeah, by the way. This would have been a huge deal. Now, I want to point it out because it is a big deal, but the Bible doesn't spend much time talking about it, so we're not either. Sorry, Sam. And then the second thing is that if you look at this chapter, if you've turned there, you might be like, oh my gosh, this is really long. And it is. So we're not going to read all of it, all right? We're gonna read like the first 23 verses just to kind of set the scene, and then we'll summarize some, we'll go back to some. But the reason it's so long is because it goes into great detail about the actual words that are said. But that's the way we're gonna, that's the approach we're gonna take. Table is set now. So let's turn to our text, 1 Samuel 25, verses 1 through 23. It says there, Now Samuel died, and all Israel assembled and mourned for him, and they buried him in his house at Ramah. Then David rose and went down to the wilderness of Paran. And there was a man in Maon whose business was in Carmel. And the man was very rich. He had 3,000 sheep and 1,000 goats, and he was shearing his sheep in Carmel. Now the the name of the man was Nabal, and the name of his wife, Abigail. The woman was discerning and beautiful, but the man was harsh and badly behaved. He was a Calebite. David heard in the wilderness that Nabal was shearing his sheep. And so David sent ten young men, and David said to the young men, Go up to Carmel, and go to Nabal, and greet him in my name. And thus you shall greet him. Peace be to you, and peace be to your house, and peace be to all that you have." I hear that you have shears now your shepherds have been with us and we did them no harm and they missed nothing at all in the time they were in Carmel ask your young men and they'll tell you therefore let my young men find favor in your eyes for we come on a feast day so please give whatever you have at hand to your servant and to your son David and when David's young men came they said all this to Nabal in the name of David and then they waited And Nabal answered David's servants, Who is David? Who is the son of Jesse? There are many servants these days breaking away from their masters. Shall I take my bread and my water and my meat that I've killed from my shears and give it to men who come from I don't know where? So David's young men turned away and came back and told him all this. And David said to his men, Every man strap on his sword. And every man of them strapped on his sword, and David also strapped on his sword. And about four hundred men went up after David, while two hundred remained with the baggage. But one of the young men told Abigail, Nabal's wife, Behold, David sent messengers out of the wilderness to greet our master, and he railed at them. Yet the men were very good to us, and we suffered no harm, and we didn't miss anything when we were in the fields as long as as we went with them. They were a wall to us, both by night and by day, and all the while we were with them, keeping the sheep. Now, therefore, know this and consider theref- and consider what you should do, for harm is determined against our master and against all his house. And he is such a worthless man that one cannot speak to him. Don't talk about your boss like that. Then, then... Abigail made haste and took two hundred loaves, two skins of wine, five sheep already prepared, and five seahs of parched grain, and a hundred clusters of raisins, and two hundred cakes of figs, and laid them on donkeys. And she said to her young men, Go on before me, and behold, I'll come after you. But she didn't tell her husband Nabal. And as she rode on the donkey and came down under the cover of the mountain, behold, David and his men came toward her, and she met them. Now David said... Surely in vain have I guarded all that this fellow has in the wilderness, so that nothing was missed of all that belonged to him, and he has returned me evil for good. God do so to the enemies of David, and more also, if by morning I leave so much as one male of all who belong to him. And when Abigail saw David, she hurried and got down from her donkey and fell before David on her face and bowed to the ground. Now, as Abigail comes and bows down she not only bows we actually see after this she begins to make this speech she begins to make this plea and we'll see what the plea is in a bit but she makes this plea to David and she also reminds him of something she reminds him this is the promise that God has made to you and as this chapter unfolds we'll get to see God actually enact justice on behalf of David Y'all, the story we find here in this chapter, these are the words of God from the mouth of God, and he has given them to us, his people, because he loves us, and these words he tells us are true. You ever gone into, you ever walked into a room, and like nobody says anything, but like as soon as you walk in, like the tension, like can, you can just feel it in the air. I remember years ago, going to a birthday party for a friend of mine, and most people were there, it's like just this group that we ran around with, but it was really awkward because these two people had dated and they broke up and one of them had decided they would date someone else in the friend group. And this is the first time we're all getting to experience this new love, awkward, joy stuff. It's weird, right? But like, nobody had to say, hey, Jake, yeah, this is going on. You walk in you're like, well, this is terrible. And you've probably been in a situation like that where you walk into a room and there's like this really tense situation, but in the end it's like, but it's not my fault. But you've probably been on the other side too, haven't you? Where it's an awkward situation and it's all, it's all you. A while back, Donna and I got in a uh, heated discussion over something important, I think, like turning the lights off when you leave the room. And so the worst thing happened then, and we had to go somewhere. So we were about to be stuck in the car together. And so we get in the car, neither one of us saying a word. We're driving down the street, total silence, and a voice from the back. What's wrong with you guys? Like the tension is obviously felt even by someone who doesn't know what's happening. In our text, we find a situation that's like extremely tense for everyone involved. Now, where does it all stem from? Well, it stems from this dude named Nabal. And we're told that he's a very rich man. We actually find out about his possessions before we even are told his name. And the text makes it clear, his possessions, his wealth, his stuff, this is what he cared for the most. But we're not only told about his possessions, we're also told about his character, that he is harsh and badly behaved. He's described as a fool by his enemy, It's fair. his servant, maybe he's a bad boss, and his wife. So, like, it seems like that probably checks out. It seems to be everybody. And in our text, we see that this guy makes a really foolish decision. We're told here that it's sheep shearing time. So this would have been a time that's like really profitable for him. It'd also be a time of great celebration. Now look, as you might have guessed, I don't know much about livestock, but I do know this. You cannot have sheep shearing time if you don't have sheep to shear. And if you want your sheep to live, you have to feed them at some point, okay? So I know this is basic, but that's all I got for you. So the people that are in Nabal's employ, part of what their job would be would be to herd these flocks out into the wilderness so they could could eat. But this would actually be a kind of dangerous time because you'd be out, you'd be exposed to wild animals and robbers and sheep pirates, I guess. I don't really know, but like you're out and you're exposed and it's dangerous, right? But David's men had watched over them. They had cared for them. Verse seven, David says... Your men didn't miss anything when they were with us. They suffered no harm while we cared for them. And one of Nabal's men in verse 15 and 16, he even tells Abigail, like, we didn't miss anything. We were safe. They were like a wall. They were protecting us. And so now in return for their service, David is coming and asking for something. Now, exactly what he's asking for, not sure, maybe food or supplies, but whatever it is, it's actually pretty substantial, because it's not, it's not David and his kids, it's David and 600 dudes that are with him. So David sends his men and, and a kind greeting. And instead of Nabal saying, you know man, there's a lot of you fools, I can't really afford all that. Um, instead of inviting David to come so that they might sit down and work something out, instead of sending back a token gift, instead of loading them with loading them down with provisions he begins to hurl insults at them he insults david he insults his men and emphasizes everything around that you see it's mine this is my water my meat my men this is my stuff who is this fool who is asking for it he has done nothing this stuff is mine okay we will deliver the message And whenever they go back and David finds out his request has been denied, he's enraged. He tells 400 of his men to get armed and get on the march. And he he actually tells... its not We might have missed it because it's not in the words that we would use, but you know what David from his mouth says they're going to do? They're going to annihilate them. Whenever it says, like, it'd be done to me, even more so to me if I leave one male left alive... What he's saying is like, um, we're going to kill him and we're going to kill every dude around him. Look, I called it tension. We get, it's a, it's a little beyond tense, right? But what we see is that Nabal's greed and his pride and his arrogance, his, his sin, it's created this tension and it's set in motion destruction that he would have never imagined. And we might look at him and be like, Well, that's what you get you can't talk to people like that now maybe we don't think everybody deserves to be put to the sword right but we probably feel like this guy he probably deserves some blowback for what he's done but do you know who's in the same position as Nabal only infinitely worse it's you and it's me because how often do we think along the same lines that he does We may not be as abrasive as he is, but if you're honest, man, like, are you ever greedy? Set your money aside for a moment. Let's think first first about your time. Do you see places where you could serve? You serve others, but you know that there would be this huge sacrifice of time that you're like, no, that's my time. Are you greedy with your time when it comes to God? Like, in service to him? Maybe even in worship together with his people on the Sabbath? Are you greedy with your money? Or do you freely give of it to God and to others? Are you greedy with your love? Like, do you intentionally choose to not foster relationships with certain people because you're like, oh my gosh, they are hard? We all know people like that, right? But like, are we greedy? We're like, I don't want to give them my love because it's going to require something of me. Do you intentionally have nothing more than acquaintances because, man, you know it's going to be hard to truly love someone as God calls us to. Do you hold real friendship at arm's length for that reason? You know, maybe you're not greedy. Maybe, maybe you do give in lots of areas but are you ever prideful or arrogant do you ever sit back and look at your accomplishments and really just find satisfaction in them in conversation do you spend a lot of time telling people the things you've done that you think are pretty impressive greed pride arrogance these are things in this short story these are things that are glaringly obvious about this man. There's sins that are easy to see. Can you easily see these sins in yourself? If not, which ones, which sin in your life is easy to see? Which one do you feel like everywhere you turn is staring you in the face? And let me ask you this. In your life, where has your sin caused tension in a relationship? Or where has someone else's sin cause tension in the relationship between you? Is there unresolved, something unresolved between you and another person even right now in your life? If so, man, here's my encouragement to action even today. Don't text them. Call them. Or go look them in the face if you can and resolve whatever it is between you. Look, man, this can be awkward because somebody has been wronged. But man, this is what God calls us to. He calls us to be peacemakers. And peacemaking, man, that can be an awkward business. So, we got two dudes. We see that the sins of Nabal have made he and David enemies and set in motion destruction. And our sin does the same. The sin of Nabal set in motion the wrath of David and four hundred guys. But our sin, our sin, sets in motion the destruction and the wrath of God Almighty. Man, do you realize the position that our sin truly puts us in? Do you realize the tension that it creates between us and us and God? Do you realize the wrath that our sin deserves? Do you realize that this can only, that this can. <laughs> Only ever be resolved by an intervention of another. Nabal needed an intervention because he had a problem he could not resolve. And that's what we find as we continue to dig into our text. You ever seen the show Intervention? Or if you're like, that's not my speed, how about Hoarders? You ever seen the show Hoarders? What's the premise in each of these shows? It's this, that a person is obviously in need of some help, right? Like sometimes they know it. I like that some of y'all are looking at each other and it's like, you're the hoarder in the family. That's what I'm reading in some of y'all. I pray it's not true. But in each of these shows, there's a premise, right? Somebody's in need of help. Now sometimes they know it and sometimes they don't. They're either in denial or just oblivious to it. But in every case, you know what they have? They have someone who loves them enough and is willing to intervene. Though they know it's going to be hard for that person, they're willing to intervene because they love them and they know that it will be for their good. It's exactly what we find here. Because this dude Nabal, the guy that everybody seems to hate, has a wife who seems to be the polar opposite of him. Because Abigail is not described as harsh and badly behaved and a fool. She is described as beautiful and wise and discerning. And when a servant comes to tell her that David is on the war path to kill all of them, she takes action. And side note, you know what that servant's name was? Nobody else alive does either because it doesn't say. But this unnamed servant just played a huge role, hadn't he? No small roles, guys. Step in when you see the need. That's all for free. But when Abigail gets this news, she takes action. She loads up provisions and food and wine and and goes actively searching out David and his men. We saw in verse 23, she finds them, falls down, and then begins begins this speech. And here's what she says, Cliff Notes version. She asked David to disregard this foolish Nabal. She asked that the guilt be on her alone. She points to God as having spared David from the guilt of killing all of these people in anger and reminds David of the promise that God has made, that he will one day be the king. And by her actions, you know who Abigail saved? First, the obvious, her husband and the household. But second, she actually saved David too. And he acknowledges this when he replies to her in verse 32. See, Abigail saved David from what she calls blood guilt, which means she saved him from the future guilt he would have felt for slaughtering all of these people simply because he was angry. She actually saved him from doing something that David had witnessed not that long ago. See, back in chapter 22, Saul ordered the killing of a priest and his entire household because they had given aid to David and it's interesting if we hold these two chapters side by side because in 22 David can see that Saul is acting in sin that he is killing these people not because it's just but because he is prideful and angry and insecure and now in 25 as David is the one about to do the slaughtering He's not doing it because it's just. He's doing it because he's angry, because now he's the one that feels slighted. Hold these chapters side by side. It's the same sin. You know what the difference is? David's the one on the other side now. A reversal of roles has blinded him to this sin. We suffer from that too, huh? How often do you see somebody do something that you know it's wrong, but then when it's you doing it, You justify it or say, well, it's not such a big deal for you. Like somebody might cheat the time clock at work and you rain down condemnation on them. But when it's you fudging the numbers a little bit, it's like the grand scheme. It's not that big a deal. It's a few minutes, a few dollars company will be fine. What about when you see somebody have one too many drinks? You look at them, you're like, how could you show such a lack of self-control But then when it's you, it's like, it's not a big deal. It doesn't happen that often. What about when somebody has an affair? Whether it be a physical or an emotional affair, you think, how could you do that to someone that you love? But then when it's you, you justify it and say, you don't know the way my spouse treats me. You don't know how alone I feel. You don't know the way that they have emotionally abandoned me. You know, in all of these things, you know what it shows in us? That our view of sin is inconsistent. And so often, we suffer from the same thing David did. A reversal of roles. We have a totally new view. Y'all, we're inconsistent creatures. That's why we need God to stoop down and show us the areas of our lives when these inconsistencies are. You know oftentimes he does this through other people even like our confessions on sunday mornings oftentimes i think yeah i i have that but i I mean i don't struggle with it that bad until somebody's up here telling me how it manifests in their lives oh yeah yeah that's me too david could see saul's sin but failed to see where he was committing the same one you know we're good at spotting sin in other people And really bearing down on them. Let me encourage you when you spot sin in someone else, instead of just hammering in on them, look at yourself and ask this question And where's that sin at in my life? We all struggle with every sin in some way. You may not have killed anybody, but do you ever harbor anger at someone? You may not struggle with same sex attraction, you may not struggle with like physical acts. You ever lusted after someone that's not your spouse? Or even imagine things about your spouse, things that like, man, I wish they would do this for me, that they don't, and let yourself live in this fantasy land of how great it would be if they did. That's sin. Every sin we can do this with. So instead of focusing our efforts on how other people are sinning, Let's first take care of... Let's take care of our own hearts. Let's clean house here first. As David that day on the road... As David listened to the words of Abigail... His eyes were open to the truth of what she said. He sees and understands that indeed... Yes, he would have been guilty of murder. He would have felt the weight and the guilt... If he had carried out his plan. He could honestly see... Yeah, you know what I'm doing here? I'm looking to get justice on my own terms... I'm not trusting God to do it for me. But as David was marching on the warpath, he had no idea the providential hand of God was at work on his behalf. That God was sending this woman, Abigail, to him. Y'all, God's work, providential work is in our lives too. And you know the way we often see it? It's in ways we don't like. Because it's in a restraining way. Like, Here, God sends Abigail, her words restrain David from sin. You may not think of it in these words, but you ever have a plan and you're like, it's hit a roadblock? It's the restraining hand of God in your life. We hate them when they come. Oftentimes, because we think our plan was awesome. But do you ever consider it's God that has put that there and that it's for your good? When we encounter these things, the question we have to answer is, how will we respond? Will it be in anger? Or will it be in turning to God in faith, even if we are angry and frustrated at the way our situation has turned out? That day on the road, Nabal needed someone to intervene for him for obvious reasons. And David needed someone to intervene on his behalf before he took justice into his own hands. And we, too, need someone to intervene for us, to offer a resolution to the problem that we all have. So this tense situation between these men, it was resolved. It was diffused because of Abigail going to David. But you know, an injustice had still been done. But now, instead of seeking to resolve it himself, David has turned it over to God, And the rest of the chapter tells us this is how the story plays out. Verse 36, Abigail goes to her husband's home to give him the lowdown on what's happened. But uh, he's having a feast, a feast like that of a king. And he is uh, overindulged a bit for the day. So in her wisdom, she's like, you know, we're going to push this till the morning. And when he rises the next morning, she tells him all that's happened. And it says that His heart died within him and he became like a stone. Maybe it's because he found out, hey, you know all that stuff you didn't want to give to David? Your wife did it anyway. Or maybe he found out um, you and everybody around was about to be slaughtered. We don't know why he has this reaction, but it's obvious that the news affects him. And in verse 38, The short verse, really succinct, it just says, And ten days later Nabal died. And this, friends, is God enacting justice for David. When David is the one seeking to enact justice, it's a huge display of 400 armed men on the warpath seeking what they call justice. But when it's God, when justice is placed in God's hands, when David leaves it up to him to do that work, The script is about as action-packed as if it would have said, and then God scratched his nose. Just Nabal died. That's it. And David acknowledged, this is God's hand at work the whole time. And here's how the chapter kind of concludes. See, now, Abigail was without a husband, which would be a big deal. Like, it'd be a huge deal, especially in this culture. Do you know who else was without a spouse? It was David. Because Saul had actually taken David's wife and given her to another. But David, no doubt noting her beauty and wisdom, sends men for her. It's just weird, like, he essentially proposed through his buddy kind of thing, but whatever. But it worked out, and the two were married. Happy ending for now. In this text, we see a situation created by the sins of two men. And resolution was needed. So God in his providence stepped in and intervened through his servant Abigail. But y'all, our sin has too created a situation that can't be resolved without the intervention of another. Abigail is what we could call a type. A type, someone in the Old Testament that as we look at them, they like point us forward to Jesus. similarities between them but there are also some differences. But we saw that Abigail, though she hadn't actually done any wrong, she left her home which was no doubt beautiful and elegant and she went to go face a man who is coming towards her household as an enemy. And When she encounters him her first words, on me alone be the guilt, tells him don't regard Nabal even though he's the one who had done the wrong. And when she says, on me alone be the guilt, here's the thing. She didn't know what would happen. Would David say okay and kill her instead? Would he be merciful? She didn't know. Abigail, that day, intervened to save others. Y'all, this is what Christ has done for us. But Jesus left not only A beautiful home. He left the glory of heaven to come to earth and sacrifice himself for his enemies. That's what Romans 5 tells us we were, his enemies. Jesus came and said, Father, on me alone be the guilt. On me alone put the guilt and the shame and the sin of your people. Don't regard their sin against them. But Here's the difference. Abigail didn't know what that would mean when she said that. Jesus said that knowing exactly what it would mean he knew that meant that the wrath of God the Father would be poured out on him in a measure that you and I cannot imagine. On me alone be the guilt. Put their shame and sin and guilt on me. And I know you're going to, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lay myself down and sacrifice myself anyway. Because of Christ's intervention on our behalf, because of his finished work for us at the cross, we now have a resolution to the problem that we alone have created. Friends, let's never lose sight of the fact that we are sinners in great need, but that our God has loved us with an, an unimaginable love. He loved us enough that he said, I'll send my only son to intervene for you, to, to resolve this great need that you have that you cannot fix. I'll send my son so you can be reconciled to me. Because of that, we can take some of the words that we find Abigail saying here. We too can say that our lives are bound in the bundle of the living, in the care of the Lord our God. Friends, we don't need to look. We don't need to look for our security anywhere else. We don't need to look for our identity anywhere else. We don't need to seek justice for ourselves. God has told us, you are wrapped up in the righteousness of my Son for all those that place their faith in him. So we too, with confidence and assurance, say that our lives are bound in the bundle of the living in the care of the Lord our God. Let's pray together. Father, you have loved us in a way that is um, unimaginable. You have loved us in a way that we cannot even. Imagine loving the person that we care for the most. We thank you that you sent your son to be the sacrifice that was required. We thank you that you've not only taken our sin, but you have given us his righteousness. Pray that you would make this truth more clear and more beautiful to us. We thank you that you have given us this text. We thank you that um, you have given us the story of the life of David. A man that you said, this is a man after my own heart. This is a man of my choosing, who over and over again falls on his face, but over and over again returns to you, knowing that this is his only hope. God, let that be. Let that be the position, the stands for our heart as well. Let us truly believe you're our only hope. We ask you would do this for our good and most importantly for your glory. We ask this in Christ's name and for his sake. Amen. Let's stand and sing together.